Broadcasting from the unknown regions in a galaxy far, far away, MRC Tech presents The Last Podcast. Episode 13, everyone, and welcome to The Last Podcast. I am your host, Sean, and we are happy to have you aboard the ship as we travel through the unknown regions. If you're new to the podcast or you need a reminder, you can support the podcast through donations using PayPal. Shout out to Gary, Lee, and all of the others that have donated to the cause. Thank you so much. Donate $1 and get an exclusive last podcast sticker support the show so we can give the hyperdrive an update head on over to mrctechllc.com backslash become a fan or paypal.me backslash mrctechllc for more information breaking news friday 11 8 into the galaxy episode one just dropped a new mini series covering Season 2 of Resistance, Season 1 of The Mandalorian, and all things comics, books, and fanfic in this segment called Reading the Stars. Go on over and check that out. It's a very, very good listen. We have over 215 downloads on the last podcast. Thank you so much for being part of the show. If you like game streams, come on out and join me as I play through a series of games on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, and Mixer. Join the chat and follow the channels. The goal is to become a Twitch affiliate. I have 22 followers looking to increase that to 50. Looking forward for the support. We're playing Luigi's Mansion 3. I stream on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays starting at 9 p.m. and usually going to around 11 p.m. or whenever I feel sleepy next up star wars fans star wars fallen order coming out jedi fallen order looking forward to streaming that for you so come on out and check out the game streams what do we have on the agenda for episode 13 in our hyperspace spot we're going to look at the trilogy that could have been in our holonet highlights we're going to cover three different articles covering the mandalorian and jedi fallen order As we break down Rogue One for the very last time, we're going to watch the third act and then give an in-depth breakdown of the entire movie and sort of put it through its rating system like we did with The Last Jedi. In our final approach, we're going to look at the power of faith, a theme across the galaxy. Finally, in our ship's log, we're going to take a look at the planet of Mandalore to get us all prepped up for Disney Plus and The Mandalorian, which is coming out this Tuesday. We are recording on November 8th, 2019. Looking forward to bringing this Star Wars news to you. So why don't we calculate the Navic computer and let's get going. Ready? Punch it. In our hyperspace spot tonight, we are going to t- 
take a look at an article written by Cooper Hood on ScreenRant.com. Now, usually I don't pull from articles outside of StarWars.com because we're so close to the Rise of Skywalker, but since this has nothing to do with Rise of Skywalker, we're going to pull it from ScreenRant, and I'll read it verbatim to you. The now-canceled Star Wars trilogy from Game of Thrones creators David Benioff and D.B. Weiss would have explored the origin of the Jedi. Ooh. Announced in early 2018, Lucasfilm successfully lured two of the biggest names in entertainment to a galaxy far, far away. However, following the reception of the final season of HBO's hit series Game of Thrones, many wondered if the series would still happen as originally intended. This appeared to be the case when it was revealed that the first installment of their trilogy would hit theaters in December of 2022, but that is no longer the case. It was recently announced that the duo have moved on from Star Wars to focus on making content for Netflix as part of their nine-figure deal with the streaming giant. Reactions on the cancellation have been varied from fans as there was almost no details on what exactly Benioff and Weiss were planning, but now that has been revealed. According to a report from Variety, the trilogy of Star Wars films from Benioff and Weiss would have explored, quote, how the Jedi came to exist, end quote. Many thought that this new franchise could be loosely based around the popular Star Wars The Old Republic games, showing audiences when the Jedi were at the height of their powers, but this would indicate that they could have gone back even further in the Star Wars timeline. If this report is accurate, then Benioff and Weiss's films would have explored a section of the Star Wars universe that fans have barely seen before in canon. The series even could have connected to the recent trilogy, as Act 2 is the home of the very first Jedi Temple. It's possible that the trilogy might have even starred the Prime Jedi, who is briefly shown in Star Wars The Last Jedi on the floor of the Temple. Beyond these details, the origin of the Jedi would have been a nearly blank canvas for Benioff and Weiss to explore. The biggest question that this news will leave fans with is what this means for this concept moving forward. The origin of the Jedi is a perfect launching pad for a brand new franchise in the growing Star Wars universe. It would likely be set thousands of years before the events of the Skywalker saga, meaning that there would be no reason for recognizable characters to be included. Now that Benioff and Weiss are no longer tackling this part of the Star Wars timeline, many will hope that another filmmaker will be able to step aboard and bring this concept to the big screen. Okay, some thoughts on this. For me, I love that the idea, and again, uh, confirmed slash rumor, that they would have tackled the origins of the Jedi, a past story. But here is my thing. First off, the concept of this is wonderful. I love the Old Republic games. I love uh, Knights of the Old Republic. I love the uh, massive multiplayer online uh, Old Republic game. Wonderful games, lots of storylines, lots of things to explore, more galaxies, more people, a, a time of peace, a time of commonality with the Jedi, Sith were around. So there's a lot of exciting things that certainly, certainly could happen uh, during that time. Now, with that being said, didn't Benioff and Weiss already do a historical series 
called Game of Thrones. But here's the the thing that I actually I'm happy that they are out of the project, and not because of the final season of Game of Thrones. It's because their seasons of Game of Thrones, you know, up until season five, were really, really good. But they were already written for them, and all they had to do was adapt it to TV. So, is it their fault that Game of Thrones was good? Or were they the beneficiaries of an already awesome series written by George R.R. Martin? We know that their writing for the show, which they did not have a lot of source material, was not good. We know that the final season of Game of Thrones was rushed. They would have had to write this series from scratch, loosely based off of some source material. Sounds familiar. So for me, I'm glad they moved on. I'm happy for Netflix. I'm glad they're doing things for Netflix. They're obviously making money. I'm assuming, and here's the thing, there's a little bit of a track record with Lucasfilm and and dumping directors and creative people. Uh, Let's see Solo. Um, See, you know, the rumors of Ryan Johnson leaving. See this of Benioff and Weiss leaving. You know, there's so there's a lot of you know, I think um Timothy Zahn, who is the author of the Thrawn series, basically said like they give us and I'm quoting and I I'm gonna be honest with you, don't source me on this because I could be misquoting him and it might not be even the right person. But they basically the Lucasfilm story group says like, all right, listen, you can write about this, this and this, but you gotta stay away from this and this and please if you can incorporate this and this. So they have like a roadmap so maybe Benioff and Weiss was like, listen, we're not going to follow this roadmap. We're going to make it up as we go, and they weren't into it. I don't know. That's speculation, so we'll see. But for me, I'm happy that they're not in the project. I hope that they do continue to explore the origins of the Jedi because, honestly, I think that would be a dynamic, dynamic point in the Star Wars franchise. As we've said before on this podcast, and if you know me, We've got to move away from the Skywalker saga if we want Star Wars to live on. I'm super excited that the comics are going to explore The Empire Strikes Back, between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, but that's more of the same characters. That's more of shoehorning details and retconning issues and seeing how Luke trained to be in Get the Black. Like, are we going to see a series of how he makes his black Jedi tunic? Are we going to see a series of how he creates his green lightsaber? All cool stuff, but doesn't really do anything to add to the already existing universe. Jedi Fallen Order, new story-ish. It's a new character that really can't exist. I imagine Cal Kestis is going to die. But the origins of the Jedi, there's no concept. We can't even think about it. The The only thing we have that's close is the Knights of the Old Republic game. But we don't even know if they were going to reference it, so... Only time will tell. So for me, once again, Benioff and Weiss out as the Star Wars creative team for 2022. Does that mean now that Ryan Johnson's trilogy has moved up? I don't mind Ryan Johnson. For me, the, you know you know that The Last Jedi scored about a 69%, a 70 We're rounding up. It's not a great movie, but I'll tell you, 
if we look at, <laughs> and I'm going to make this, and, and this might get me in trouble with some fans out there. I don't know if you read the New York Times article by Martin Scorsese about his commentary on superhero films, not just Marvel, but superhero films and how they're theme parky and how they're, you know, uh, tested and vetted, and, and they know that they're going to be good because they're uh, catering to the fan. The Last Jedi didn't. You know, we all thought Luke was going to be like this super powerful dude. He wasn't. We all thought that Finn was going to die. He didn't. We all thought that Snoke was going to be in the third movie. He's not. It was creative in its storytelling. Creative could also mean bad. Creative could also mean very good. I don't think Picasso was seen as a visionary until years later. The Mona Lisa is kind of a boring thing to look at, but it's revered. So creativity comes in all different shapes and sizes. I, like I said, I don't know why Benioff and Weiss decided to move on. But maybe this gives, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. Maybe this gives a young director, a young writer, a new face to write the origin stories of the Jedi. And I'm looking forward to it, so... Let's wrap this up. This has been your hyperspace spot. The origins of the Jedi. Will we ever see it? Only time will tell. As always, let's shout it out to the We Pod Squad, which comprises of Greg and Sam of We Podcast and We Know Things, and Ryan of the Iron Ryan Show. The Wee Pod Squad is a series of three shows with the Wee Podcast and We Know Things show coming out every Friday covering all your nerdy news and the Ion Ryan show and the last podcast core episodes covering every other Tuesday. The Ion Ryan show just dropped this past week and a new episode of Wee Podcast and We Know Things just came out today, 11-8. Head on over to We Podcast and We Know Things and hit that subscribe button. Head on over to the last podcast presented by MRC Tech and hit that subscribe button. Go on over to our Instagram feeds, We Podcast and We Know Things, Ion Ryan and the MRC Tech to follow us, to interact with the squad, and to have a good time. So thanks, guys, for doing what you do, and let's keep the good times rolling the hollow net highlights is a collection of the grittiest news we've found across the galaxy let's take a look at our first article focusing on the mandalorian according to Kristen baver of starwars.com this is everything we know about the mandalorian so far so as we know the mandalorian comes out in a mere four days. That's four days. It's so exciting. It is a cinematic experience. And I might even uh, do something special for it. But by the time you listen to this, The Mandalorian would have aired. So that's not going to matter. Let's move on. Anyways, so here is everything we need to know about The Mandalorian so far. The Empire has fallen. In The Mandalorian, the first live-action Star Wars series coming to Disney Plus November 12th, we follow the travails of a lone gunfighter far from the authority of the New Republic. 
From the trailers, we know the characters will encounter and inhabit a dark chapter in galactic history where outlaws make their own rules to live by with little inter interference. There's no central government in the galaxy, and so it degrades into a world where, like the old samurai movies and old westerns, where the gunfighters are roaming and people are fighting for their own safety, says John Favreau. The series creator next week will take our first steps into this uncharted era when the series premieres. Here's everything we know going in. Story. Set about five years after the fall of the Empire, before the rise of the First Order, The Mandalorian is an exploration of a new era in Star Wars storytelling on screen. While there are some tattered remains of Imperial rule visually realized in the familiar soldiers in Stormtrooper armor, the focus of this story is far from where we left off with the central conflict between the Rebel Alliance and the Empire in Star Wars Return of the Jedi. In fact, the Stormtroopers themselves are looking less pristine than their Imperial era brothers, a symptom of the hard-scrabble nature of the times. In-universe, the story in unfolds in the Outer Reaches, a galactic frontier far from the long arm of the laws upheld by the fledgling New Republic, and focused on a lone gunfighter wearing the unmistakable armor of the storied warriors of Mandalore. Characters The Mandalorian, at the heart of the show, portrayed by Pedro Pascal, remains mysterious. His face unreadable beneath the shield of his T-visored mask and his formidable form encased in impenetrable Beskar armor, Pascal has said he was inspired by Clint Eastwood's Man With No Name when he was getting into character, a fusion of Western bravado and samurai mythos that combines to create a blaster slinger who can shoot a stormtrooper in the neck without turning his head or breaking his stride. Cara Dune played by the incomparable Gina Carano, is a war veteran who survived the Galactic Civil War, but now lives as an outcast who finds it difficult to reintegrate into society. We'll see the seasoned fighter and former rebel shock trooper reinvent herself as a mercenary, relying on some of the skills she learned in the military to forge a new life for herself. Grief Karga Brought to life by Carl Weathers is the head of a guild of bounty hunters who crosses paths with the titular character while on the prowl for a mercenary to take on a high-priced job. And then there are several more we've only just glimpsed. Moff Gideon, played by Juan Carlo Esposito, the mysterious high roller who's provided ominous voiceover about the complicated profession at hand, played by Warner Herzog, and Fennec Shand, a merciless sharpshooter who made a name for herself as a hired killer for the galaxy's top crime syndicates, played by Ming-Na Wen. Alien Droids his face always settled into a frown. Quill, the Ugnot, voiced by Nick Nolte, is a vapor farming is a vapor farmer just looking for some peace and quiet far from a life of servitude. Glimpsed straddling a trottling blurg, don't judge him, by his size. Meanwhile, IG eleven, the slender assassin droid voiced by Taika Watiti, has been programmed to serve the Bounty Hunters Guild a valuable hired gun ready to follow the code of the bounty hunters to the letter. 
In a series of trailers and other footage previewed in the lead-up to November 12th debut, Favreau has already delivered on his promise to introduce new alien races and characters while peppering in the familiar. A couple of feisty Trandoshans, a tasty Kowakian, Monkey Lizard, a running scared Quarren, a purple skinned Twi'lek, and a roving band of Clatoonian raiders, not to mention a row of captured quarries already sealed in carbonite and ready for delivery. Vehicles. Every good bounty hunter needs a reliable and rugged form of transportation. Enter the Razor Crest, the Mandalorian's trusty ship, a broken in, battle worn craft that clearly has some long years and equally extensive parsecs behind it. Other repurposed and retrofitted crafts and vehicles include Outland TIE Fighters with model specific landing gear, another accoutrements, and an ATST Raider built from various leftover Imperial tech that's been scavenged by marauders and modified with war paint. Behind the scenes, Favreau, who wrote and executive produced the series, has worked closely with Dave Filoni, who directed the first episode and serves as executive producer alongside Kathleen Kennedy and Colin Wilson, plus a star-studded list of episodic directors including Deborah Chow, Rick Famayiwa, Bryce Dallas Howard, and Taika Watiti. Karen Gilchrist serves as co-executive producer, and acclaimed composer Ludwig Gorison wrote the score. I'm actually so, so happy they came out with this article. Not that I wasn't paying attention to all the Mandalorian details, but there's so much out there right now with Star Wars. So being able to see a comprehensive guide on this show four days in advance is so, so helpful. Thank you, Kristen Baver, for putting that all together for us. I really appreciate it, and I hope you really appreciate that. So just to review, we have the characters' names. Uh, Remember, it's set, well, let's do the story. It's set five years after the fall of the Empire. We have the Mandalorian. We have Cara Dune, Grief Karga, Moth Gideon, a high-rolling person, mysterious. Uh, we got an alien, the an Ugnaught named Kuil. We have IG-11 and uh, several other aliens not named. We have uh, Migna Wen's character, Fennec. And we have the Razor Crest, the Mandalorian ship. So let's get used to all these names because we're going to be talking about it. For the next X amount of weeks, what is there, eight episodes? So the next eight weeks, we'll be talking about this through the Rise of Skywalker. And if you want to catch the exclusive Mandalorian breakdown, you're going to want to head on over to the Into the Galaxy series of podcasts that I will be putting out on the last podcast feed. So definitely check that out in the future. Moving on and just sort of uh, connecting... All we know about the Mandalorian, let's take a look at Ming-Na Wen's Star Wars Assassin from the Mandalorian. So this just came out November 4th uh, by Anthony uh, Bresnikan, who was with EW for a long time. So let's just quickly, quickly uh, head on over and go through this. A fox can be a sly predator or can be the vulnerable hunted prey, Mig. Nawen's new Star Wars character from The Mandalorian is someone who knows how quickly one can become the other. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and she's so good in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Mulan actor will appear as the assassin Fennec Shand, who crosses paths with Pedro Pascal's masked bounty hunter midway through the first season 
of the Disney Plus series, spoiler alert, which launches with the streaming service's debut on November 12th. We got our inspiration really from the name. The idea of a Fennec Fox came to mind when told Vanity Fair. She's tricky and yet she's able to maneuver and survive and be stealthy. So very graceful and agile. I just love that whole image with the name. The first appearance of her character is in this new teaser video with her facing down the faceless lead character, a man without a name apart from the warrior tribe whose armor he wears. She delivers a somewhat ironic line, your name will be legendary. Is she the light side or the dark side? Good guy or bad? Or does her allegiance lie somewhere in the middle? Thinking that she's a mercenary, it can go either way, Wen said. I think it remains to be seen when compared her to Han Solo, a survivor who didn't start out believing in any cause but his own. Then again, Fennec Shand made her name committing murder for the galaxy's top crime syndicates. So she's much closer to the sinister side than the wise-cracking smuggler. She is definitely someone who's loyal to herself, Wen said. The show created by Iron Man filmmaker Favreau is the first live-action Star Wars series set in a lawless time in the galaxy after the defeat of the Empire and Return of the Jedi. It brings a Western movie motif to the galaxy far, far away with Pascal's masked bounty hunter inspired in part by Clint Eastwood's yada yada. We heard that. Pascal accepts a bounty from a mysterious client who wears an Empire insignia around his neck and then goes on to encounter a former rebel shock trooper, Cara Dune, a jowly Ugnaught alien named Khalil, and a killer droid IG-11, among other underworld den denizens. Carl Weathers plays the Mandalorian's patron, Grief Karga, who leads a guild of bounty hunters dispatched to sell scores and collect wanted individuals in the aftermath of the Galactic Civil War. Fennec Shand has a past, but she's also something of an unknown. Her backstory, like so many of the humans and aliens she has eliminated, is a moving target. It will evolve. It will change. I mean, I think that's what's so wonderful about creating a new character, Wynn said. I think she has a good sense of humor about it as well, which is also fun. You can't really pinpoint which direction she's going to go. This is also the first major female Asian Star Wars character to appear on screen who hews to the villainous side. Wynn said she is happy. More Asian and Asian-American performers are finally appearing in galactic storytelling especially since the earlier films borrowed so heavily from Asian cultural influences. From Darth Vader's samurai-style helmet to Padme Amidala's Mongolian-style regal headdresses, there was all this incredible imagery, but yet there were very few Asians in the films. Any sort of representation is important and necessary, and I'm just happy that I got, ch that I got chosen it was meant to be. Growing up in the late 70s and early 80s, Star Wars was a touchstone for her. It's definitely a film that has had such an impact in so many people's lives, including my own, Wen said. As an Asian kid in Pittsburgh, and especially in Mount Lebanon, sometimes you feel very alone and very isolated. And I think for me, with Star Wars, I connected so much with Luke having these dreams and wanting something bigger and better than being a little farmer in Tatooine. Just that image of him looking at the binary suns and wishing for more, it always stays with me. Wen also has a Pittsburgh history with the director of her first episode, Dave Filoni, longtime executive producer of the Star Wars animated shows The Clone Wars, Rebels, and Resistance, who made his live-action debut with the pilot for The Mandalorian and returned to helm another episode featuring Wen near the middle of the season. We both grew up in the same town, and it was just a real connection because of our love of Star Wars. 
He was so open to talking about things and working out the logic of each scene. That's what I love, she said. We were working on some line changes, and he was up for all of that. So it was a very fluid, fun, organic kind of process. Wen also contributed her own ideas about the character's look. At first, the idea was maybe just have her hair be loose, unkempt kind of thing. And I thought, well, she's going to be wearing a helmet and she's a stealth assassin. How great would it be if her hair has a bit of the Fennec Fox architecture to it? So the hairstylist came up with the great braiding system that was that just gives an idea of these triangular points like her ears. You can see them pulled back tight against her head, threaded with orange. Another callback to the animal that inspired her. It just gives her such a strong, unique look. I've been doing Agent May all these years on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with long, flowing Marvel hair. I wanted to make this character, who's also such a badass, very different, very stark in a way. The costume is a leathery, broad-shouldered armor. The designer, Joseph Poro, came up with this amazing outfit that I fell in love with right away. It's black, but then there's the fennec orange punch to it, so that's kind of like her brand, I guess. Lastly, what is her weapon of choice? She has quite a few weapons because she's a very skilled fighter, Wen said. Just her body is a weapon in and of itself, and she does carry a big, big gun. So that is Fennec Shand, and honestly, it's probably very similar. She's probably playing a very similar character to Agent May because she does sound like she's going to kick some behind. So I am looking forward to Fennec Shand and seeing Ming Na Wen in this amazing new role for The Mandalorian. Hopefully you're looking forward to that as well. In our final article of the Holonet Highlights, let's go on over to the gaming space and talk about Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is just one week away from its release. So this is Cameron Monaghan of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order Talks Cal Kestis Toys and Becoming a Jedi, written by Dan Brooks on November 6, 2019. If you portrayed a Jedi in a Star Wars video game and toys were made of your character, would you buy them? For Cameron Monaghan, the actor playing Cal Kestis, a Padawan survivor of Order 66 in the upcoming game Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order it's an easy answer absolutely a hundred percent Monahan tells StarWars.com I'm going to have a Cal corner for sure while Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order doesn't arrive until November 15th action figures and other products based on the game were released well in advance on October 4th also known as Triple Force Friday take a look at my Instagram for my Triple Force Friday posts the mega event that saw the next generation of Star Wars products hit shelves Star Wars toys have always held a special place with fans. For many, they were a way to tell their own stories as children and connect with the saga on a more direct level. Today, with advances in sculpting and articulation, they make for impossibly accurate collectibles that would have blown minds when the original Star Wars was released in 1977. None of that is lost on Monaghan. Quote, it's a pretty surreal to see a character that you built and got to explore and imagine, he says. It's a character that I've really grown to love, but also it reminds me of being a kid in some of the first action figures that I got. And the imagination and possibility that comes along with playing with an action figure. The Black Series Cal Kestis from Hasbro, which includes his adorable droid sidekick, BD-1, particularly impresses the actor. It's amazing to see Cal in full detail. Not only his face, 
but I really love the design they ended up going with for him, he says. To be able to see a figure that really captures the detail of it, it's really cool. In a year of Star Wars tentpole releases, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is definitely among the biggest. Coming for Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and PC, the game will deliver an authentic Star Wars story set after the events of Revenge of the Sith, the Jedi have been wiped out, and Cal, who never finished his training, must make his own way in the galaxy. And based on trailers and early impressions, it looks like to be the Jedi lightsaber game the fans have wanted this console generation, if not longer. It's been a long time since we've had a game really fulfill this, Monaghan says. It was something that I wanted to see as well. As a fan of the series and someone who plays games, to be able to tell a story that feels not only very at home in this galaxy, but also unique and fresh, something that feels both epic and somehow still personal, is amazing, and this team has done such a great job. A fan since childhood, Monaghan recalls wielding a toy lightsaber so much that it became bent and mostly inoperable, going to see Star Wars The Phantom Menace with his grandfather at age 7, it was a great moment to be able to share with my grandfather, he says earnestly. And watching Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and playing Star Wars video games, yet while he's familiar with the ways of the Jedi, he did not look to the past to inform his performance as Cal. I didn't want to model Cal in any specific Star Wars character, he says. I wanted Cal's personality and demeanor and everything to come out of his own experiences and his own stories, and to build it from an inward place. Sounds like something a true Jedi would say. Very soon, we'll all pick up our lightsabers and experience Cal's story. For fans, it will at least be a thrilling game and emotional story. For the actor who brought the story to life, however, it's something else entirely. Something akin to a Jedi dream realized. Ultimately, it's been an honor, Monaghan says. It's such a privilege to be able to play something that has a storied history behind it, but also something that I'm personally a fan of and have always wanted to be a part of since I was a kid. I'm still pinching myself. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order arrives November 15th on Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and PC and is available for pre-order now. I won't pre-order this game because I'm going to buy it for PC, but I really can't wait to play this game. I'm ecstatic about it. Uh, I think they're dumping a bunch of resources into it. I love that Respawn is doing it. I love that EA is hopefully fixing their mistakes from Battlefield 2 and their terrible decision-making with microtransactions, although I did enjoy the Battlefront 2 campaign. It's a very good one. That was my very first stream that I did for my uh, my brand, the MRC Tech. So you can check that out in the archives, but uh, I'll probably revisit it one day, but I'm looking forward to streaming Jedi Fallen Order and taking my time with it and really, really, really enjoying it. So... Are you going to play Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order? Let me know, and we can discuss all the secrets of the game. And that, my friends, has been your Holonet Highlights, a uh, short and gritty news recap capturing the essence of the Star Wars galaxy for your head space. Look at him, he's heading for that small moon. That's no moon. It's a breakdown. In our final part of Rogue One's That's No Moon, It's a Breakdown, we're going to take a look at the final scenes of the movie. We're going to take a look at a scene-by-scene breakdown, hopefully, 
and give it a grade. I'm super excited to finish this movie. I look forward to watching this movie and breaking it down or just at least offering some live commentary. So where we left off last time, the Battle of Scarif has begun. All wings have reported in. The Empire is flailing. They're sending their TIE fighters out. They're sending their or their uh, their squadrons, their... That's not the right word. Um, their battalions to the beaches. Jin and Cassian are currently accessing the data vault. Krennic is on site, barking commands. Tarkin is aware of the skirmish and has called Lord Vader to action. The Rebel Alliance has appeared in the sky and is now trying to deactivate the shield gate. Pieces are in motion. Let us see how our heroes do, although we all know the end. But we're at the hour 38 minute mark, hour 38 and 12 seconds, in this wonderful movie called Rogue One. Let's cue it up. Let's make sure our sound is okay. And let's get going, and that's no moon. It's a breakdown. Admiral, this is Blue Leader standing by. This is Gold Leader standing by. This is Red Leader standing by. Sir, those are rebel ships. Get Admiral Gold immediately. Director, the rebel fleet is amassing us. They're here, baby. Let's get it. Lock down the base. Lock it down. And close the shield. Do it! Red and gold squadrons, attack formations. Defend the fleet. Blue squadron, get to the surface before they close that gate. That's Copy super convenient. Blue squadron on me. Copy, Blue Leader. Copy, Blue Leader. We won't have long. What's interesting about the Blue Leader squad... You better hurry up. Better get on in there. Here we go. Close it! Love the tech behind the shield, by the way. It's awesome. Come on, come on, come on. Not, not good. Oh my god! Could you imagine hitting that shield at full, at full, full clip? Sorry, I'm just uh, lowering the. Uh... Rebel fleet has arrived. What? They're fighting on the beach. They've locked down the base. They've closed the shield gate. What does that mean? We trapped. We could transmit the plans to the rebel fleet. Yes, we could. We'd have to get a signal up to tell them it's coming. It's the size of the data files. That's the problem. They'll never get through. Someone has to take that shield gate down. Bodhi, Bodhi, can you hear me? So Bodhi, we're just going to listen out. to a robot. Fine. Bodhi. I feel you. I'm over here. I was standing by. They've started fighting. The base is on lockdown. I know. Listen to me. The rebel fleet is up there. You gotta tell them to blow a hole in the shield gate so we can transmit the plan. So again, this is the part of the movie Wait, where, like, I can't. I'm not, I'm not things sort of have to, have to happen. You take the next chance and then the next. Cover our backs. Nice moment between, uh, between Jin and K2. You wanted one, right? Your behavior, Jin Erso, is continually unexpected. One could say erratic, but great job, Jin Erso. 
Oh, baby. AT-ATs or AT-ATs, whatever you want to call them. Firing on the Rebels. Not great. What a wonderful tropical scene. <laughs> They're hiding behind little sand, sand dunes. They're not going to do anything. Yes, rocket launcher to the side of the face. That's not effective if this was Pokemon. But getting shot up by rebel ships, super effective. Love it. Love the smiles all around. It's awesome. Get ready. We're going to have to go out there. What are you doing? They've closed the shield gate. We're stuck here. But the rebel fleet are pulling in. We just have to get a signal strong enough to get through to them and let them know that we're trapped down here. For that, we have to connect to the communications tower. Now, I can pat just in over here at the landing pad, but you have to get on the radio. Get one of the guys out there to find a, a master switch. Get them to I would say that this is my only down. issue, is Don't that go. one switch controls all of it, and it's called a master switch, and I don't like it, Unknown, but we're gonna, we're gonna we accept it. All rebel frequencies are blocked. Keep trying. Engage those star destroyers, and let's start probing that shield. Do it. Love Admiral Radis. I love the camera above the X-Wing as a point of view. It's awesome. Space to tropical scarab. U-wing sending in some ion blasts to the joints. It looks like an ion blast, but it just destroyed it for me. This blue squadron is just like throwing fire and hell at these adats. It's awesome. Searching. I can locate the tape, but you'll need to use the handles for extraction. So we get all this chaos, and then we get like what am I supposed to do with these this? quiet moments with Jin and uh, Cassie. They're on to their game. Stormtroopers locking them in. The rebels, they went over there. Okay, what's going on out uh -oh. there? There's one. Ah, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I also just noticed that the communications that that came from is like the same thing that Han Solo speaks into on the Death Star. So that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. We're starting our attack run on the shield gate. Keep it tight and watch out for those towers. Classic. So they probably have to they had to dub in that shield gate line. But perfectly executed. And here come the TIE fighters. More fighters, former. Oh look at that, a convenient woman. Flying an X-Wing. We didn't see that in a new hope at all. She must die. So that's an attempt. That's a good attempt at retcon. 
It's good stuff. There's a master switch to the base of the comm tower. Master switch, describe. What are we looking for? What does it look like? The master switch. Where is it? Your wings reinforce those troops on the beach. All fighters, on me. We have to shield them from air attack. Troop reinforcements. Here we go. Oh, another female pilot. Very good. For Jetta. They're screaming. I love it. For Jetta. Yes. Proton torpedoes, not effective against this skill, shield. the shield jet. How much more can that Shields be? gate. Stick close, Red Five. Where are you going? Yes. Red Five. See you, Red Five. I wonder who gets Red Five next. That's a fun little story that Luke Skywalker takes over for a pilot that was just blown up the day before. Great anticipation, Kay. Boom. The air battles. It's so nice seeing um, X-Wings and TIE Fighters fighting in gravity. It's interesting, right? Because in space, there's no gravity. All those code words actually have a little bit to do. By the way, why would you wrap it around there, Bodie? What are you, an idiot? The sand troopers are really cool. Black Saber. We just talked about that. Darth Maul, Black Saber. That's it. I know that. I know because it's me. Hey, Beautiful. You. Identify yourself. I can. Oh, yes, Bodie, that boy. Come on, Bodie, you got this, buddy. Team effort. Poor K2. Very sad, sad part. And there, our first character bites the dust. And I would say it's the saddest one, too, if I had to make a comparison of death in this movie. You know, that was Cassian's boy. Unauthorized access at the data vault. What? Eh? It's just come in, What? Worsen <laughs> Credic, what a nut job. Send my guard squadron into battle. Two men with me now. Get that beach on the So again, control. a nice little retcon of death troopers. Send them into battle, which means they don't survive because there's no such thing the in the, uh, the trilogy, the one we know. You have to. They have to hit that gate. Come on now, Bodhi. We can send the plants. 
Everybody's got their role to play. Come on, brother. Do it. Go. Uh. Cables dragging across bodies that are just down. They attempted to create these new TIE Fighters. I forget what they're called. But they're not really good looking, but... Another blue squadron X-Wing down. I'm shocked. Step back. Oh, they used tempered glass in the Empire. That's cool. Oh, U-Wing going down. Yeah. Here come the death troopers. Might I add the music in this is just fantastic. We're going to pump it up a little bit. Death troopers don't come to play. We're going to take you out. We're six foot seven. Ooh. Come on, Melchi, get out of there, buddy. Cheer it. Phase. This jump that Jin takes is very reminiscent to the jump that Ray takes in the Rise of Skywalker trailer. Thank you very much. What a connection. Also, not related, but still pretty cool. Cassian Andor, good jump. Not as skilled, but I'll take it too. Melcy, Melcy, come in, please. I'm tied in at my age. I just need an open line. <laughs> Hang on. Melchie's. The master switch. It's out there, that console. How do you know? They didn't really describe it, but again. I'm going. Look at him. Done. I'm going. See ya. Out. Orson Krennic. Making his way. You okay? Jin conveniently has a hook on her belt for this hard drive looking thingamajigs. Cassian fire. Oh, poor Melch. He's done. He's out. I'm one with the force. Okay, cheer it. Here's my thing. Not my favorite scene. I'm one with the force. The force is cheer um, I suppose we just have to accept the fact that these death troopers, through sheer will of the force, cannot hit him. Through sheer will of the force, cannot hit him. Are we going to accept it? Sure. Fine. I'm with it. It's a good scene. Come back! Pump it, Sheeran. Go, baby, go. Man, I'm all jazzed up for this movie right now. Oh, Orson got him. Ooh. Ooh. 
Oof. It's like three hits, and he gets hit in the shoulder. He has fulfilled. He has fulfilled his purpose. And now Baze. Ah, tender moment upcoming. Get the tissues. Don't go. Don't go. I'm here. I'm here. BFFs, man. Tough times. And we're back to battle just like that. Nothing else is happening. Here we go. In the cockpit of a TIE fighter. Very cool scene. Press it. Away. No, oh, they brought a female. Notice how they're really pushing, which is great, by the way. I'm not saying that it isn't. Oh my god, I forgot about this scene with the Star Destroyers. We've lost engine power, sir. That Star Destroyer's disabled. This is Rogue One calling any Alliance ships that can hear me. Throws, he throws his goggles in frustration. This is Admiral Raddus, Rogue One. We hear you. We have the plans. They found the Death Star plans. They have to transmit them from their communications tower. You have to take down the shield gate. It's the only way to get them through. Call up a hammerhead corvette. I have an idea. Yes, you do. This is for you, Gale. Good job, Bodie. Good job, Bodie. Uh-oh. Grenade in the ship, and that ship is done. K2 down, cheer it down, Bodie down, and now we have Baze. Baze ain't gonna play with you guys. He's a man on the mission, he's got no time to build, he's got time to fire though. One, see ya. Two, three shots. Four. Oh, see ya. Ooh. On the ground, got him. Grenade gets him. Rolls. He's way too close to the blast radius. He looks over at his buddy. It's very sad. Bay's also done. Go, go, go. Climb through that hole. That's going to chop you in hand. Oh, very close. Love the hammerhead. Yes. Full power. 
this scene, I was in awe of the hammerhead scene. I can't wait to see this again. Are you kidding? All right, we get Jin Urso up on the communications tower. What are those TIE fighters called? TIE. I don't know. But it's annoying me that I don't know. Of course, in like in any good game, just when you think you're at the end, you have to do something else. The scenery, the cin cinematography in this. Just... Hmm. Krennic's just going to take the elevator, no problem. And how sweet. Now, apparently, right before impact, the Hammerhead people uh, evacuated from the ship, which is cool. And here we go. So much death. Yes. Hammerhead chops through his Star Destroyer. And for whatever, they get caught in the gravitational pull of Scarif. on for dear life. She's got nine lives. She's a kitty cat right now. And somehow her hair has stayed in a bun. Oh boy. Who are you? You know who I am. I'm Jin Erso, daughter of Galen and Lyra. You gotta love that. His face. You've lost. Oh, I have. Have I? My father's revenge. He built a flaw in the Death Star. He put a fuse in the middle of your machine, and I've just told the entire galaxy how to light it. The shield is up. Your signal will never reach the rebel base. All your ships in here will be destroyed. I lose nothing but time. You, on the other hand, die with the rebellion. Ooh. Didn't see that one coming, did you, buddy? Cassian Andor makes his appearance, and here we go. Star Destroyer crashes through the shield gate. Radis is a genius, and there it goes. Shields down, transmitting now. It's happening. Admiral, receiving transmission from Scarif. Again, listening to the music. A wonderful compliment. No. Hey, leave it. Leave it. That's it. That's it. Let's go. Transmission received. Admiral, we have the plan. Classic black and white graphics of the Death Star. That they show at the end of the hope. 
someone's out there. We're detecting a massive object emerging from hyperspace. And here we go. The Death Star appears. Very cool imagery. Sir, shall I begin targeting their fleet? Lord Vader will handle the fleet. Target the base at Scarif. Single reactor ignition. Yes, sir. By the way, Moff Tarkin commits genocide of his own Imperial forces to ensure the integrity of the Empire. He said, screw this, we're just gonna take out the whole thing. We've got a strange scene between Jin and Cassian staring lovingly into each other's eyes, going down an elevator, cool. Interesting scene here. I'm far when ready. As Krennic looks up at his own creation, Single reactor, Death Star technicians firing, and it fires right through the Citadel Tower where Krennic just was, hits the surface of the planet, and creates a similar effect Rogue of Jeddah. May the Force be with you. And with that, that seals the fate of all those who were part of the Battle of Scarif planet side. And ew, boom, finalizer. Vader enters the scene. And now, I, I remember in the movie, I was like, all right, what's happening now? Well, I don't understand this. The plans are with the Radis. How is it gonna get to the Tanta Four? Where does Leia come into this? I was sort of, you know, questioning this, but also like under bated breath, seeing our heroes we've gotten your to know. Proud of you, your father would have been proud of you, absolutely. As they, you know, we have what's normal is on a beach setting with a sunset. We're seeing a massive, massive tidal wave approaching them. transmissions from the surface. Prepare a boarding party. Yes, my lord. Jin and Cassian, one last time before the blast hits. And they're gone. Hmm. Vader boarding the Radis. We've got full evacuation of the Radis happening right now. Let me just stick this on this SD card real quick. We gotta get out of here, folks. By the way, if you haven't seen that YouTube video of the reenactment, find it. It's outstanding. I didn't know what to expect at this part, but I'm so giddy right now, I can't believe it. Oh no. Vader doesn't have time for this. Love the music in this scene because it's the Imperial March just slowed down a little bit. 
Outstanding. Boom. I'm going to send that blaster bullet at you. Give me those guns. One shot, two shot, three shots. Up. Oh, let me choke you here. Get out of my way. Take this data card because I'm dead too. Oh, got him in the leg. He is just mowing down rebel after rebel. Oh my gosh. And the chills I had in the theater when the Tanta 4 launched. Oh my god. What a slick move, by the way. I mean, if you really break it down to sure its you core. Secure the airlock and prepare the escape pods. Oh. Your Highness, the transmission. I know this was definitely a scene of contention. What is it they've sent us? Because of the graphics here, the CGI. But I think she looks great. And hyperspace. And the movie's over! What? The movie ends. And John Knoll and Gary Whitta wrote this story, and God bless you, too. For bringing together such a dynamic story. This is one of the first times... This No, this is the first time that Star Wars was introduced in a movie that wasn't an episode. So there was a lot riding on this. And in my opinion, they did a great, great job at uh, putting together a story based off of one line of A New Hope. A group of rebel spies stole the plans for the Death Star or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be accurate, but I just can't believe how great this movie ended up being. Um, for sake of time, I'm not going to do a scene-by-scene -scene breakdown this time around, but I will uh, bring that to episode 14 as a, a as a ender and an intro to the next movie we're going to do prior to The Rise of Skywalker. We only have a few short weeks left, which means we only have a few episodes of the core series left before we get to The Rise of Skywalker. So we'll see what we're going to do next, but... As our music in the end credits takes us out, I want to thank you for sticking with me through the five parts of Rogue One. It's been a pleasure, everybody. I really, really enjoyed this movie, but we'll do a comprehensive breakdown in episode 14 of The Last Podcast, so stay tuned for that as we say goodbye to Rogue One and we say goodbye to all our main characters, Jin, Cassian, Bodhi, Baze and Cheerit, K2SO, and let's not forget about the real hero, Melchi. That a boy, Melchi. God bless and good night. As we transition out of uh, That's No Moon, it's a breakdown. We're going to 
continue on our journey, but we're coming to an end as we make our final approach. And in this final approach, we are going to talk about lessons from the Star Wars saga. You remember we did this the other day, but this topic is all about the power of faith. Thank you, Mark Newbold of StarWars.com for bringing together a few tidbits and details of the power of faith. So let's get started. Chased off Hoth, the depleted forces of the Rebel Alliance fought a desperate rearguard action to hold back the imposing might of the Imperial ground assault as they fled to their troop transports. In the skies, T-47 snowspeeders bobbed and weaved between the legs of hulking Imperial walkers as rebel soldiers battled snowtroopers on the icy plains as a commanding member of Echo Base, Leia Organa orchestrated the evacuation as Luke Skywalker led Rogue Squadron in an attack on the AT-ATs, the former narrowly escaping herself with the help of Han Solo and Chewbacca aboard the Millennium Falcon. In this scene from Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, with the Empire closing in, there is little to hold this ragtag band of freedom fighters together, save for their belief in something bigger than themselves. Some of them believe in the power of the Force, but many more simply trusted in the dream that the Rebellion would ultimately see the end of the tyranny of the Galactic Empire, the flame of hope ignited once again across the galaxy. This belief wasn't held together by a mystical energy field or powered by coaxium or tabana gas. Only faith could feel the hope that the Rebel Alliance needed to win the day. Meanwhile, alone in his X-Wing save for R2-D2, Luke Skywalker jumped to light speed and headed to the distant world of Dagobah in search of the Jedi Master who had instructed Obi-Wan Kenobi. Luke only had the word of a slain Jedi in his faith in something bigger than himself, the Force itself, to hold on to. Luke Skywalker, the Dreamer. Raised on the dunes of Tatooine, Luke Skywalker led a harsh existence. His childhood was dreary, desolate, and unexciting. Friends were few and far between. Luke didn't know he was a lost prince, nor could he imagine the vital role he would play in the fate of the galaxy years later. With an understanding aunt and an overprotective uncle, he felt constricted, closed off from the rest of the galaxy. He longed for a life among the stars, standing on the sand dunes outside the Lars homestead, watching the twin suns setting as he dreamed of joining the Imperial Academy. One of the only avenues off-world for adventure-thirsty Outer Rim dwellers like him and seeing the galaxy. When fate came knocking on his door in the form of two droids with a desperate message, a spark was ignited. Through the teachings of Ben Kenobi himself, the missing Clone Wars general Leia was trying to reach Luke's brief lightsaber training aboard the Millennium Falcon bolstered his belief in a concept entirely new to him, the Force. But it was the death of his mentor Kenobi at the hands of Darth Vader, the man who, from a certain point of view, had betrayed and murdered his father, which really flipped the switch. Now Luke had a purpose, the rebellion, and something to believe in, the Force. Combined with faith in his newfound friends, Luke was on the path to aiding in the destruction of the Death Star, a journey to Dagobah to train under Master Yoda, and most vitally of all, faith that there was still good residing in his father, an ember of humanity which no one else, not his sister Leia, Emperor Palpatine, or even Anakin Skywalker himself could see. 
For Luke, faith in a destiny much bigger than himself fueled his determination to save his father, restore the Jedi, and assist the Rebel Alliance. Decades later, Rey would show that same faith as she traveled her own path from the backwaters of the western reaches to the bridge of the supremacy, facing down the power of the dark side, uncertain of her heritage or her part in the fate of the galaxy. At heart, she may be a Jakku scavenger, just as Luke spent his youth dusting crops, but her acceptance of a larger destiny and her faith in herself, her friends, and the Force will shape history. Leia Organa, the leader. Unlike her twin brother, Luke, the foundation of Leia's early life was entirely built on faith. Raised as Alderaan royalty as the adopted daughter of Brea and Bail Organa, her father fought from within the Imperial Senate to make a better galaxy and as Leia grew, those lessons were ingrained in her, forming the fabric of her conscience and her belief in freedom and equality for all. A desperate mission to deliver the hard-won plans to the Death Star back to her father was initially a failure as Leia was captured. The plans tumbling down to the surface of Tatooine in the care of two droids with a desperate message to an old family friend and a fate unknown. Leia had faith in Obi-Wan Kenobi, a trust likely passed down to her by her father. When she learned that the droids were successful and Kenobi had arrived on the Death Star with the droids, the plans, and a trio of newcomers, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, and Chewie, her faith in the Rebellion fueled her to lead their escape to finally deliver the plans to the Rebel base on Yavin 4 where the Alliance would make a stand. Faith in the dream, faith in the democracy, faith in her friends— Leia was very much the product of Padme Amidala's nature and Bail Organa's rearing, two people whose belief in justice and freedom was at their very core. For Leia Organa, faith in equality for all, no matter where in the galaxy they resided or what social circumstances they lived in, helped focus her reality, inspire a rebellion, and free the galaxy from tyranny. Her faith in the dream to remove the Empire, restore the Republic, and make it whole again powered the rebellion and later the resistance through the darkest of times. Han Solo, the scoundrel. It took Han Solo a long time to believe in anything but himself. Born and bred a scumrat on the mean streets of Corellia, Han was raised under the harsh yoke of Lady Proxima. While his skills as a scammer were considerable, Han had a propensity for finding trouble. His love for and faith in Kira helped see him through these difficult times as they made their ultimately futile plans to leave the planet and make a new life together. With a new name, Han Solo, he enlisted as an Imperial Cadet. For a man whose very name suggested he was a lone wolf, he hated to be alone. His time in the Empire led him to Mimban and a first meeting with Chewbacca, bolstering his faith in friendship. It's a common solo theme, his willingness to believe in and fight for his friends. A competitive friendship of sorts formed with Lando, one that would come back and haunt him many years later when desperate days would lead Han to Bespin. Han had shown loyalty beyond expectation when he risked the Millennium Falcon to help Luke destroy the Death Star. And again on Bespin, he displayed faith and friendship as he vouched for Lando and accepted his help. 
Faith sent Solo to the carbon freezing chamber and the vile clutches of the gangster Jabba the Hutt. But Han's trust in his friends would be repaid when Luke and Leia, Chewbacca, and even Lando risked everything to get into Jabba's palace to break him out. Where Kira had made a choice to leave Han, Leia made a choice to save him. A wiser, more considered man after his long carbonite suspension, he gave the Millennium Falcon back to Lando to fly in the Battle of Endor while he joined his friends in the mission on the ground to destroy the shield generator. A rogue, a scoundrel, and a braggart, no doubt, but Han Solo proved Kira right. He was the good guy, and his actions helped destroy the second Death Star and cripple the Empire. For Han Solo, faith in his friends was enough to galvanize his comrades to fight for each other and come to his rescue, no matter the cost. Begrudgingly leading by example, Han showed that even a cocky, foolhardy smuggler from Corellia and his steadfast Wookiee partner could be bound by the power of faith in each other. A galaxy of faith. Across the Star Wars saga, there are countless examples of ordinary people who stand up to be counted because of faith. It can be faith in people, in something bigger than oneself, in, in the all-powerful force or faith in a better tomorrow. Galen Erso made choices he couldn't take back, but left a fuse within the Death Star because he had faith that someone would find the weakness and exploit it. His daughter Jin proved him right. Qui-Gon Jin had faith in the will of the Force, but also in his abilities of a young pod racer from Tatooine, who would not only help him get off the desert planet, but help break the blockade above Naboo and maybe even bring balance to the Force. Years and years later, Finn would struggle to find his place after leaving the First Order behind, but ultimately discover faith in his friend Rey, who gave him a hand and refused to leave and abandon him. And the larger cause of the Resistance, his brave but foolish last-ditch run to destroy the Super Laser Siege Cannon during the Battle of Crate, displayed once again his ever-strengthening face in something bigger than himself. Faith, in its many forms, stands shoulder to shoulder with hope in the Star Wars saga. It inspires heroes from all corners of the cosmos to take a stand and hold a candle to the darkness, binding the galaxy together every bit as much as the Force. Thank you, Mark, for writing that wonderful article on the power of faith. For me, I definitely resonate with Luke as he looks upon the binary sunset and he has that sense of wonderment, that sense of what's out there. And unfortunately, his hand was forced into what he had to do. He had nothing left. Ray had nothing to begin with and still has really no idea who she is, but she accepted the challenge. Leia has the weight of the galaxy on her shoulders. Han had the weight of not letting his friends down. There are so many themes that people can pull from. There are so many characters that can that people can connect to. But the power of faith in Star Wars is something that not only rings true for the movies and the storylines, but rings true for the fandom. We know that The Last Jedi was a controversial film. But I have faith in the fandom. I have faith that those fans who choose to stick around will benefit from this in the long run. The fans who jumped ship or this is not my Star Wars, that's your decision and opinion. But I truly believe that if you have a little faith, 
The stories will come together. They will satisfy your appetite, I guess. Uh, you know, I'm not satisfied with every story I read. Sometimes I feel that this story was just written just because. But I do believe that The Last Jedi was written, directed, and produced for a reason, and that reason was to break up the status quo of Star Wars. We all had an expectation of what that movie should have been, especially with Luke Skywalker entering the fray. That cliffhanger at the end of Force Awakens just provided so much excitement. I just damn excited. And that excitement was stymied Im immediately within 12 minutes of the movie because it took a left turn and we weren't ready for it. Maybe that movie over time holds up. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But I do have faith in this fandom and I do have faith in the rise of Skywalker. And I hope, I can only hope that this unifies the fandom once again so we can all enjoy the Star Wars content that we deserve for the times in the future, the times now, and the times when we reminisce with friends and family about the stories we grew up. That has been your final approach, the power of faith in the Star Wars saga. As we check on our ship's log and we're coming to the end of episode 13, I did want to highlight a planet, a world called Mandalore. Now earlier on in the episode I mentioned Mandalore while we were going over the things you don't know or the things we do know about the Mandalorian. So here is Mandalore. Mandalore is a proud world with a rich warrior culture. Mandalore is home to various clans united under Bo-Katan Krize, wielder of the Dark Saber. Now, one thing I just want to mention, and that, that was, that's it on the Star Wars databank for Mandalore, but one thing I do want to mention are the appearances, affiliations, climate, terrain, vehicles, and tools of Mandalore. So, Mandalore mostly appears in Star Wars The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. That's where the majority of my knowledge comes from. So if you don't know what Mandalore is, check that out. Affiliations to Mandalore are the Mandalorian Guard, the Shadow Collective, the Mandalorian Super Commando, Death Watch, the Protectors, Imperial Super Commandos, New Mandalorians, Clan Wren, Clan Krize, Kryz, I don't know, Clan Saxon, Mandalore Royal Academy of Government, and, of course, uh, one of the main characters in Rebels, Sabine Wren, who uh, eventually wields the Darksaber. And then, of course, in the Darth Maul series that I covered in Into the Galaxy, Episode 1, he wields the Darksaber and has Mandalorians as part of his, his uh, crime syndicate or guild. So the Mandalorians are just a proud warrior force. We also see a bunch of Mandalorians as mercenaries in Knights of the Old Republic. So again, Mandalore has a rich, rich history. So I'm really looking forward to uh, checking out the Mandalorian. And speaking of history, once a glorious world, the surface of Mandalore was laid waste by war, leading Duchess Satine Kriz to renounce the planet's violent history and declare neutrality in the Clone Wars. Satine's pacifism was opposed by Death Watch, an underground movement of armored warriors that celebrated Mandalore's martial past and sought to overthrow her. Late in the Clone Wars, Darth Maul took over Death Watch and led the conquest of Mandalore. He executed Satine and installed a puppet prime minister as the planet's new ruler. 
sparking a new chapter in Mandalore's violent history. Satine's sister, Bo-Katan, refused to support Maul and helped his greatest nemesis, Obi-Wan Kenobi, escape capture. Years later, the Empire occupied the once-proud world. Sabine Wren, a Mandalorian rebel, returned with the Darksaber, looking to unite her people and strike back against Imperial tyranny. With Bo-Katan and several clans, she destroyed the Empire's Mandalorian armor-targeting weapon. Sabine then gifted the Darksaber to Bo-Katan and the clans aligned under her leadership. Just to clarify on the Darksaber, the Darksaber is an ancient black-bladed lightsaber wielded by Death Watch's pre and later Darth Maul, later Sabine Wren, and finally into the hands of Bo-Katan. So it's got a very cool history, the Darksaber. That has been your ship's log. I hope you're all ready for the Mandalorian because I am now pumped up for it. Well, friends, we have reached the end of episode 13 of the last podcast. I can't believe we're 13 episodes in. I can't believe it's November 8th. It's freezing in my basement. It's 10.26 p.m. Honestly, this was a fun, fun episode to do because I was able to focus in on the core series and not have to worry about uh, sneaking in Resistance stuff and sneaking in Rise of Skywalker stuff. Instead, I was able to focus this podcast for you and keep it actually under, uh, you know, an hour and a half as per usual. Thanks again for sticking with me this time. As you know, we covered the hyperspace spot and the trilogy that could have been. We then moved on to the Holonet highlights and talked about the Mandalorian and Jedi Fallen Order. We broke down the final part of Rogue One in our part five of That's No Moon. It's a breakdown. We discussed the power of faith in Star Wars and finally Mandalore and the Darksaber in our ship's log. Once again, I thank you for listening in and tuning in and subscribing. Please rate and review the show on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify if you can do that. That's always helpful. I love hearing your feedback. Please Follow me on Instagram at the MRC Tech. You can also follow me on Facebook, MRC Tech LLC. You can follow me on Twitter, the MRC Tech as well. If you're looking for a conversation of Star Wars, feel free to reach out. I am looking to do something special for The Mandalorian and for the lead up to the rise of Skywalker. So if you're interested in an opportunity to come on the show and give me your thoughts, please let me know and we'll set up a time. Thanks to the We Pod Squad for hosting this episode on the We Podcast and We Know Things feed. This is also available on the last podcast feed. And of course, this will be debuting on Tuesday, uh, 11 12, which I believe is the debut of The Mandalorian. So please, I hope you have enjoyed The Mandalorian or whenever you decide to watch it. But I'm looking forward to discussing it with you wherever closer to the end of the Skywalker saga. We are 42 days until December 20th, the debut of The Rise of Skywalker. I hope you're ready, because I am. As they say, in a galaxy far, far away, my name is Sean of The Last Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and may the Force be with you.
Marcy Tech presents The Last Podcast, copyrighted 2019, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music credits to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Music by Chillhop.com. Star Wars covers featured by Unicorn Studios and Pandemic on YouTube. This has been the last podcast. Visit the website www.mrctechllc.com for more information.